APRA acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of APRA and the National Boards. I'm Tash Miles and today we're talking to health practitioners who work in rural and remote areas. It's an important and unique part of the Australian health landscape and in this episode we have a glimpse into the life of health practitioners who work and sometimes live in rural and remote communities. And a quick note to say that this podcast was recorded in June 2020 within the COVID-19 pandemic so it's not strictly business as usual for our guests. Speaking of, here they are. Let's meet our guests, pharmacist Hannah Mann, podiatrist Amy Nelson, and optometrist Lauren Hutchinson. I'm Amy Nelson. I'm a podiatrist from here in Perth for the last 16 years or so, um, predominantly here and in private practice setting. I had the opportunity last year to volunteer in northeast Arnhem Land as an outreach podiatrist. Um, which was incredible. And following that, I had the um, opportunity to take on an ongoing role up there with Lena Poy Health. So currently, well, usually what should happen um, if it's not within the the COVID time is that I will travel up there four to five times a year for a week at a time. I'm Hannah. So I'm a um, pharmacist also from WA. So I am based in Broome, um, but I travel throughout uh, the Kimberley region, um, visiting Aboriginal health services and towns and community pharmacies, um, really providing um, medication education and pharmacy support to mainly Aboriginal people um, across the whole region, which is, um, yeah, interesting. And I've been here um, since I graduated uni, so it's been my whole pharmacy career now, um, has been in the Kimberley. So I'm incredibly passionate about student placements in rural practice. If I hadn't have come on a placement, I would never have thought to come and work in a rural area. I'm Lauren. I'm a proud Murawari woman um, with strong connections to the Wiradjuri people. I'm currently an optometrist uh, living and practising on Wiradjuri country in Forbes, New South Wales. And have there been any surprises about working in the rural settings for you, Amy? Yeah, definitely. I think there's. it's been a... A pretty steep learning curve. One of the things that I was really surprised about overall that aged care um, packages and assistance begin at 55 years old in the communities and I just think that's not old, that's not aged care as, as I know it. There are a lot of really um, complex chronic health conditions and situations and people dealing not only with their own health, but also, you know, they may be looking after um, other family members, children, grandchildren. And so there's this whole network of, of chronic health conditions, I guess, that have to be taken into account. Hannah, what are some of the differences between working rurally compared to metropolitan areas? What's kind of often different for pharmacy in, in rural areas is the community relationships that you have the whole community is your is your patient um, and you have this amazing relationships with and and you know with, with community members and who just trust and rely on you so much and I feel like if you're in any metro area that's limited quite often to a percentage of your patients who you have that kind of you know um, relationship with whereas in rural areas you sort of get to have that 
with with sort of everyone who walks in the door, um, which is which is really nice. Like like Amy, I do a lot of work in remote Aboriginal health services, and I think um, you know what 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 surprised me when I came up. You know, we you know we talk a lot about the burden of chronic disease and and closing the gap and and issues around um, Aboriginal health, but when you actually see it, when you actually see people in their 30s on dialysis because of renal disease and the rates of diabetes and, you know, people dying of what is preventable complications of chronic disease, that in the city there would be no issue with, you know, um, you know, in rural Australia, even if you're not Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, your life expectancy is shorter even if you're not an Aboriginal person just because you live in a rural area. Like, it, you don't even have to have the complexities of the chronic disease picture to have a shorter life expectancy. And it is that, you know, that access to services. Um, but, yeah, that, that – and you know what? It still surprises me, but I think that's good that, I, that it surprises me still and that I'm still shocked <laughs> At, at some of the things that happen in healthcare in a rural area where you think in the metro area, this would just never happen. It would, it would just be unacceptable. Yeah, we, we absolutely should be shocked and work towards change, which you're doing, Hannah. I'm sure every day is different for you, but could you take us through what a day might be like? COVID sort of turned things upside down for us as well. Pre-COVID, I, I would travel every week um, to different um, Aboriginal health services, remote communities and things like that. So I sort of had this sort of three-week driving cycle of about 3,000 kilometres, stopping at different towns and, and communities, and then I'd kind of come back to home base in Broome for a few days and then start the process again. COVID sort of grounded me in Broome for six weeks. Normally I'd be travelling, like at the moment I'm just doing town base, so I'm in Derby today. Um, so this morning I'm at the pharmacy in Derby. Uh, for a little while, then I go work at the Aboriginal Health Service. I've got another pharmacist with me from Broome. She's currently at the dialysis unit. Um, and, yeah, it's just, you know, we go where we're needed and where people kind of, you know, need us the most. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of our stuff is um, around patient education, working with Aboriginal health services, working with Aboriginal health workers a lot. So a lot of our stuff is done with, with Aboriginal health practitioners. Um, so they're sort of the real linchpin for us with medication education. Like if we didn't have them on the other side, our job would just be so difficult because just knowing where patients are, knowing where people live, um, knowing why people are not coming to the clinic, why people are not engaging, and that's sort of that real community knowledge and cultural knowledge that helps us do our job. Like when we first started, you know, doing a lot of pharmacy stuff and what we do, what we call medicine talks, which is just sitting down and, unpacking what medications are for, what your tablets are for, how they work, when, when do you want to take them, and putting some control and some, some sort of ownership back to patients around making some decisions themselves around the medicines that they take. Um, then that always requires a few follow-ups. Like we don't want to just have that conversation once and then walk away. Um, it's something that needs to happen on a semi-regular basis. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of it, – it is quite quite – I don't know, every day is completely different um, and it just depends on where you're going. You know, like some days I'll work in clinics and I'll finish at the end of the day and think, I don't know if I was a pharmacist today. Um, I don't know if the work I did was a pharmacist's work. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's education, it's support, it's advocacy, it's a whole heap of other things where you think, you know what, I'm not just, we're not just pharmacists in rural and remote. Definitely. You're people and members of the community. Amy, what might a day be like for you? My 
week when I'm up there doing the outreach clinics involves a lot of travel as well. There's a lot of kilometres on um, bumpy corrugated tracks out to communities. So, yeah, I guess on a daily basis we would, uh, the health um, team is based in Yakala, which is about 20-minute drive out of Nulamboy or Gove. So we would start there um, first thing, pack everything, any supplies that we might need or think we might need, everything's got to sort of be almost like a mobile clinic that needs to go out to the community. So we, you know, drive out and usually a day trip would involve, you know, two hours or so each way in driving. Um, if it's longer than that, we have a couple of communities that are further away. Um, if it's more like a three-hour drive, we'll camp out overnight and stay at that community, run another clinic the next day and, and then, you know, head on back. Um, when we arrive at the community, you know, unpack, set up and, again, like Hannah mentioned, liaising with the Aboriginal health worker is um, such an important aspect because they will let us know who's there, who's not there, like she said. Also, you know, if it's appropriate to go and see someone, if we can go to their house or wait for them to come to the clinic. So, yeah, you never know what the day will hold, how many people you'll see, if there's going to be a lot of people at the community, um, if there might be hardly anyone because they may have gone to, you know, another community for a cultural event or ceremony. Um, or you could be inundated with with everyone from a whole heap of different communities. So, yeah, it really does require um, adapting to the situation and, and to where you are and who you're seeing. And then, you know, once you're, you're done and you've moved through as much as possible, it's packing the troopy again, heading back out onto the road and usually aim to be back in the clinic, you know, by about four o'clock because, again, unpacking all your supplies and restocking, resetting for the next day. So four days of the week, you'll be out on the road. Um, and then the Friday we have in the office for meetings, follow-up, seeing patients that may be based in Yakala or Nulamboy. Um, and then I head home on the weekend back to Perth. Lauren, I know your days can vary depending on where you're working. Yeah, my primary place of practice is in Forbes. Um, also do a day a month, well, I was doing a day a month um, before COVID hit in Orange um, at the Aboriginal Medical Service there. Um, so that's through the Brian Holden um, Foundation that I do that through. So that's, um, it's very different. So it's a lot more health-based. We still do um, glasses and things like that, but I, I do work closely with the Aboriginal Health workers um, at the practice at the uh, medical service there so um, that's fantastic because then I can get a bit more of a, a background on the patients like holistic health and um, working in indigenous health is working holistically so um, we work very closely with the GPs and um, the difference so typically it just happened to work out that I'm usually there at the same time that the visiting dietitian is there um, so a lot of the diabetic patients that I'm seeing are seeing me and the dietitian at the same time. So it's really good just being able to, she's across the hall and um, sort of collaborating on things that way. And um, yeah, the, the AHWs have such an amazing relationship with the community and it's just so amazing to be able to like get a bit more um, information from them and they just know the community so they'll give me a rundown and um, 
like, oh, and auntie's coming in the morning and I'll make sure she's got a cup of tea before she comes in and sees you. And <laughs> um, it's amazing working in that sort of environment. And those um, Aboriginal health workers are just so, so amazing at their job. So, Hannah, you kind of spoke about the fact that you're uh, a person and a member of a community and not just a pharmacist. I was wondering if you could talk about some of the most uh, rewarding parts of that job and um, what it means to you. When, when something happens in the pharmacy, it, you know, it can involve the whole community. People get really excited about things. You know, if we win an award or we do something, then it's like, it's like the whole community has done that, which I think is amazing that we have this sort of sense of ownership over stuff. And I think, you know, like um, with my remote clinic work, um, I think such a big part of it is, you know, being able to spend time um, with the elders who just have the most incredible stories and share knowledge um, so, you know, amazingly um, lucky to have the opportunity to work um, with communities on bush medicine projects, which is, you know, for a pharmacist to, to be able to to work on bush medicine projects is like a dream come true to most people. It's just, it is just an exceptional experience. Um, so that's, you know, and I, and I think, you know, like that's probably one of the highlights of, of what I do is being able to be exposed to, to you know, those sorts of, you know, I guess cultural experience is not is kind of not the right word I'm looking for, but you know, that that kind of insight into into remote communities and into Aboriginal culture is just, you know, amazing. And I just, yeah, that's probably one of my sort of favorite things. And then yeah, I guess creating our little pharmacy families. Could you talk about what the bush medicine involves or an example of what you might do? My roles mainly support coordination cooking and last time I went also cutting hair um, <laughs> so um, and and then just sort of supporting um, the elders in what they're trying to do and what they're trying to achieve and at the same time sort of be uh, mindful around making sure that um, we support them in in good record keeping of what it is that they've done so um, last time I was in this community we made um, a couple of different ointments. So one that is for people who um, are cold sick, so people who have colds or flus, um, and another one that was more for skin rashes and bites. Um, and then um, we made some bush tea. And then the, the great thing about that community is that the Aboriginal Health Service um, supports the program. Um, so then the bush medicine is available free for patients at the clinic. Um, and then it sort of incorporates that, you know, the cultural health um, in with, I guess, Western health um, in such a beautiful way that people can come in, they can see a doctor, they can get some bush medicine at the same time, they can see an Aboriginal health worker and have that mixed experience of improved holistic healthcare. Lauren, for you, what's the most rewarding part about working rurally? I think it's just really like getting to know your patients and then seeing them out and about. So it's just like you'll see someone and then the next week you see them down at the supermarket and they're wearing the brand new glasses they get, you've got them and yeah, just having a chat about how they're going and being able to see people like more than just that two yearly checkup or one yearly checkup, but like seeing people out in the community and being able to check in, how are you going? How's the family? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Amy, could you talk a bit about some of the highlights of your role? 
a couple of experiences that I had that really were highlights for me. On my first visit, the final day that we did the outreach clinic, we went to a little community and they had a big ceremony there. Um, and the, the community was just full. There were people camping everywhere. There were campfires. Um, got to see a whole lot of patients. People were telling me stories and, and telling me about their lives and their own communities and their family ties, which I love hearing about. And, you know, in the background, there's this um, bungal or ceremony going on and you could hear the clapping sticks and you could hear the yadaki or didgeridoo, an incredible experience and, a, and certainly a highlight for me. Um, and I think the last time that I was there, I was able to get a pair of custom-made shoes to a lady in a community that had been suffering from pain in her feet for horrific pain for like five years. So when I was there in November, I measured her up for some shoes. We had this pair of shoes made and I saw her in, in February and I had the shoes with me and she's opened the box and, you know, in a very reserved way. But her her face just sort of lit up and she couldn't believe these shoes were for her. And she put them on, they fit like a glove and she just looked so happy, so delighted and the look on her face, I thought, oh, that's worth a week's work and, and more just to, to see her feeling better and feeling happy. That's, that's really heartwarming. We take the highs with the lows. I wonder if you could talk about some of the challenges that you face, Amy, um, working in these programs. The language barrier, I think, is, is one of the biggest challenges. It's so difficult to uh, communicate in a language that's not your own. Um, and if people are trying to learn about their health in a, a language, you know, English might be certainly not the first language, it may be the second, it may be the fourth or fifth language that people speak. To try and take on information in that environment, you know, it's very difficult. So I'm trying to learn some Yulungumata and, um, you know, the, the heat and humidity is something that's quite challenging for me. You know, you might be... Um, in a, in a clinic or in a community setting where there's maybe no power, so there's no, no fans, no air con, you know, you're conducting a clinic out on a veranda or under a tree somewhere. So it's um, very different to the normal clinical setting. And how about you, Hannah? What are some of the challenges you face? You know, things that have, you know, that I've found challenging over the years has been the decisions that some patients make about their health because of access which just, you know, result in, unfortunately, them potentially passing much earlier than required because of things like not wanting to leave country and not wanting to have to relocate somewhere for dialysis and, you know, choosing to, to palliate and, and pass in community with family where you, you, know, you just think, if you, you know, if we could just get you to dialysis, if we could just get you to Perth to see some specialists, you could live a bit longer. And, and patients who make that choice and go, actually, that's not what I want. That as a health professional, I can I find kind of challenging. So I'm like, we can solve these problems, um, but for some patients, they that's not the choice that they make for their family or for themselves, and and that I have always found challenging. Um, you know, particularly things around renal health and and, and patients um, who have not been able to access dialysis over the years and have chosen um, or resulted in in them passing um, because of, of of an access and a and a tyranny of distance problem um, as opposed to a health problem 
Um, and I think I, I think the other thing that I you know always find challenging is the issues that we have around things like overcrowding, access to food, things like that that can be so frustrating when you're in a community and you go into a store and you see a broccoli for thirteen dollars and you think how is this possible? And that's the stuff that I find challenging and frustrating that makes the days bad because you think we're all working so hard and yet with no housing or access to proper housing or access to food, it's almost feels like it diminishes what we do as health professionals when we're, we're up against basic issues of, of housing and, and food and running water and things that we all take for granted. And Lauren, what are some of the difficulties and disadvantages that you see day to day? I see a massive farming community where I am. So just those extra risk factors of UV exposure um, obviously come into play. But also um, it's that sort of hesitation of patients not wanting, like you say cataracts and people all of a sudden think they've got this disease um, that's avoidable where it's, it's just a natural part of ageing. Um, so a lot of the time I see more advanced cataracts um, than I typically would, especially in my outreach, like when we travel, I'll see more advanced cataracts. So I typically like make a list and just let whoever I'm li liaising with, but okay, these are the patients I flagged, like what are our options in terms of getting patients to specialist appointments and things like that. And maybe you could share a nice experience that you've had recently with a patient, Lauren? One patient I did see earlier in the week, he um, came in with just his RTA form. So you're like, oh, typical, yeah, driver's license form. Um, not going to be that like hectic old patient of mine. Like seen him every year, but this is the first time he's had his license check um, that's needed to be done. And he's a bit of a bushy, um, and so I tested his eyes. He was fine. And then I was like, well, you know, you need to go see your doctor too. And had no idea and his license form was due in a few days and so we did some ringing around and made him a doctor's appointment and got him in he's got his license form in on time and um he came back a few days later with a um a box of cookies for me <laughs> so i don't know it's it's not even related to his eyes but i think that was one this week that was just like um yeah you help where you can Hannah, we, we're talking here about a collision between rurality, bush medicine, Western medicine, now pandemic in there. Have you seen any interesting innovations born out of necessity in any of these contexts? Any interesting stories or anecdotes that you could share? We did a project um, with a lot of our remote Aboriginal health services with patients and Aboriginal health practitioners around what language should we use as pharmacy when we label everyone's medications with what times of day to take it. And it seemed like such a simple thing, but we surveyed all of our communities and nobody was happy with what we were doing. It was, um, it was actually a shocking moment for me as a health professional to go, I've spent 10 years labeling medications in a way that a lot of my patients don't understand and basically ignore <laughs> um, because it makes no sense. Um, so, yeah, so we worked with each community around a project around what what words we should use and also what symbols we should use. That was a really amazing project to work on communities with around something as basic as if I tell you to take your medica medication at breakfast and dinner, what does that actually mean? 
Wow. Really interesting. And it makes you question the paradigms you exist in and what information you kind of center in your life. Amy, what would you like to see in the future for the communities you work with, uh, your patients and your practice? I think what I would love to see is just easier access for community members to um, acute care. It'd be nice to just to, to not be shocked by things when you go to a community, to not be shocked that there's no power until the solar kicks in or, you know, they haven't got power because the generator's broken or, you know, it's, there's just so many disadvantages that are faced and, and it's heartbreaking and you just, it would be lovely if that wasn't the case and it's all, you know, much more, it, it, it feels to me like you walk in up there sometimes and you could be in a different country. It's so foreign and so, um, you know, the standards of living are just so far different to maybe a metropolitan area. For me, it's just that access to care and navigating the healthcare system out here um, just because it's not as streamlined. And I mean, we, we try very hard um, and we are very well good at being collaborative with who we have. But when you look at those specialist services that are hard to access and especially through the public system, um, and a lot of the time, and especially because we've just come out of, so in my community, we had a flood and then we had two years of drought and then we had the bushfires and now we've got COVID. Um, it's just, there's, people don't have the resources. Um, and so oftentimes they go without because the private system is just not accessible to them and navigating the public system just becomes um, too tedious and too hard. So we do our best to try and, and make that work, um, but especially just because there's, there's a lack of, of resources and a lack of funding, um, it, it can be pretty hard, uh, especially because you can be like, yeah, there's a public system, but you have to go to like Canberra or Sydney and that's just not an option um, for a lot of my patients. What I would like to see particularly, you know, I guess you know, in, in particular, I guess the Kimberley region, is that we get to a point where we stop the terminology close the gap is no longer part of our conversation that there is no there is no gap to close that that life expectancy is not a problem that education is not a problem that housing is not a problem that that there is no difference there is no um, issues around around that and we see you know Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living full and long lives that you know facilitate you know the passing on of culture and and, and all of these things that that are so important um, I think that is, you know, <laughs> a very um, ambitious thing, and um, but I, I don't think it's an impossible thing. Um, and you know, I would like to get to that point where, where, you know, some, you know, where there is there is no need to to say close the gap, and it's something that we should be working on as, as health professionals or or as a country that you know that we we achieve that. I think as a as a health professional, um, I'd like. I'd like to not be needed anymore. Do you know what I mean? I would like Aboriginal health practitioners to have the knowledge and the confidence to have medicine talk conversations with patients every time they see them. Um, I'd like, you know, local Aboriginal people working as pharmacists and nurses and doctors in their communities. Um, so, you know, so that those 
cultural barriers are uh, addressed in a, in, a, in a way that means that patients can access healthcare in a, in a culturally appropriate manner. Um, and that, you know, people like me who travel to those, to, to those places are there for support, absolutely, and are there, um, you know, to provide education and things like that, that, that we're, not, we're not a critical part of those patients accessing healthcare, that, that you know, that community members and Aboriginal health practitioners um, can sort of do that stuff with our support, but not with us there all the time. Thank you, Hannah, Amy and Lauren for firstly the work that you do and also for being part of this conversation. It's an ongoing and an important one. That's it for our episode for today. Thank you for listening. For more information and for transcripts of our podcast episodes, please visit apra.gov.au and search for podcasts. We'd like to encourage you to share our podcast and subscribe by searching for Taking Care in your podcast player. And we have a growing catalogue of podcasts in our feed and we'd invite you to tune into one of our past episodes while you wait for the next one to be released soon. Take care.